0: M&K Talk YA now presents *Vicious*, Part One, from the Villains Duology by V.E. Schwab.
1: M&K Talk YA.
0: I'm Marissa Snyder and I'm Katie Bradford and this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast and this week it's a new year and we're doing a new series and we are reading The Villains Duology by V.E. Schwab and the first book is called Vicious and we forgot to mention this last week but we read up to part two which is called An Extraordinary Day. Extraordinary. Capital E, Capital O, <laughs> E O, if you will, an E O day. <laughs> oh man. Okay. So, what are your thoughts on Vicious so far?
1: Um, I love it. Me too. I'm like really into it, and I kind. It's not really necessarily a kind of book that I thought I would be super into because I don't. I don't really like any of the characters, or you know, like I don't. Um, I like the characters, but I like them because I don't like them. Mm-hmm. And usually if I don't like any of the characters, I don't like a book. So it's just kind of interesting so far that I'm like, loving it.
0: (laughs) This book is entirely my speed because you know how much I love dark and disturbing stories. And I, I love that everyone's a villain. Like it's a book of all bad guys, except for maybe Sydney and Mitch. But I love that because it's like, what does it mean to be a villain? What does it mean to be a hero? Also, Mitch, I mean, we don't
1: know that much of his background, but he was in jail, so it's not like he's a good guy, probably.
0: <laughs> That's, well, he was a hacker. That's true. but Maybe he was hacking into shady organizations to expose their crimes. We po- don't know. Po- possibly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Let's make him a hero, just because we need one.
0: <laughs> hey, we do. We really do. We just have Sydney. Poor Sydney. <laughs> And I'm uh, not even
1: sure about her. I mean, she just, she has such an interesting backstory. I'm curious to see how she continues to develop with, um, like, kind of looking up to Victor of all people and her <laughs> sister and, like, her family just kind of abandoning her and, like, all this stuff. Like, she's not a bad person yet, but she doesn't really have a lot keeping her good either.
0: <laughs> that's That's very true. She's kind of in bad company right now.
1: <laughs> and, but, okay, so I was reading a little bit, and you probably did some of this too, about... V.E. Schwab talking about
0: right before the first book came out, like where she got the idea and what was going on. Did you read any of that stuff? I didn't, actually, because I know we, we read A Darker Shade of Magic by V.E. Schwab. Mm-hmm. Um, so we learned a little bit about her, but I didn't read anything about this series. So fun
1: fact, uh, V.E. Schwab also goes by Victoria Schwab, and she's
0: written a lot
1: more stories under Victoria Schwab, I believe. And then she wrote Vicious and then wrote the entire other trilogy, Darker Shade. No. um, Yeah, A Darker Shade of Magic. Shades of Magic? Or yeah. Shades of Ma- whatever. Yeah. Um, In between Vicious and Vengeful, the second one. And this was oh. like her pet project. So she was also, I was reading just a little bit because I didn't want to spoil anything for myself about how like if it was hard to go back into this world after taking some time off and like becoming successful. So this, she talked a lot about Vicious being her like pet project. She wrote it without like a timeline in an editor this was just like an idea she had and she got to like take her time with it and it was really like compared to some of her book projects where she's been feeling like a lot of I mean not necessarily in a bad way either but just it's a different kind of writing to have like a contract and a timeline and a you know all that stuff versus this one she really got to take her time with but this was interesting so she started out um she really liked the idea of superpowers, not superheroes as we have kind of seen (laughs) in this but the story started out about a man named Alt, and Alt oh. isn't even in the story at all. So Alt, in her original idea, showed up in a city called Merit, which is where this book takes place, and he has the ability to see people's futures and reflective surfaces.
0: Oh, so that's
1: fun! He's been in Merit for a few days, and these two groups of people keep trying to recruit him, and one call themselves heroes, and one call themselves villains, and. Oh. She, as she was, like, kind of fleshing out this idea, it became clear that the villains only took on the name villain because they were against the heroes. So, like, hero and villain weren't good and bad. They were, like, basically...
0: Just enemies of each other. Yeah, they
1: were just opposition. So, you know, the leaders of these two groups were Eli and Victor, and then she did this small exercise like, background for her characters, and she wrote a flashback of them meeting in college, and just basically, like... That became the story. That became the story, Yeah.
0: Oh, I love that. So it started out with a different character as the protagonist entirely who Mm -hmm. didn't even end up in the book.
1: Yeah. Isn't that great?
0: Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah.
1: I love hearing how people get ideas and like the different way because I'm just so fascinated by the creativity of some of these authors.
0: I'm amazed that she wrote Vicious and then wrote an entire trilogy and then went back and wrote the sequel to Vicious villains that's incredible to me
1: i yeah i'm pretty sure that's what happened because she wrote this one in 2013 and vengeful was just came out last year just came out yeah. yeah wow i might have gotten part of that wrong like maybe she had one of the other books out and finished the trilogy or something but she definitely wrote vicious and took five years off and was doing other writing projects and then came back to vengeful
0: i'm so glad that um because i feel like a lot of pet projects like that never come to fruition or like never see the light you know like so many authors say like oh I worked I have so many so many novels that I wrote that have never seen the light of day Um, and so I'm really glad that she was able to like come back to this and get it to where she wanted to the point where she could publish it because it's it's so good. It's such a great
1: story. Yeah, like this is a direct quote. I wrote it over the course of two years in between other deadlines and I did it entirely for me. It was everything I wanted as a reader and as a writer. Hmm. And while I'm so very excited to not be sharing it with others, it is more mine than anything else I've ever written.
0: Oh, wow. I mean, there's something lovely about like being able to write just for yourself and not have the pressure of thinking that anyone else will read it. And I feel like that could be very freeing to a lot of writers. So, I mean, and that might be why this book is so good. Like, not having pressure on yourself when you're writing, I think, can allow you to be a lot more creative than maybe you would be otherwise. Well,
1: and I like how she also said, it's everything I wanted as a reader and as a writer. Like, I I love, because I consume books
0: as a reader. I want it to be written
1: to be fun for the reader. Like, it's Mm -hmm. cool if it's, like, an interesting writing style. Like, I still get something out of that, but, like, it's really fun if it's, like... Written for the reader. Yeah. In and that sense of like who you are as a reader. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And I would want, if I were to write something, I would want to write something that I would want to read, you know?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think I also read something that said this is the only book she's written that she's reread multiple times or something. Oh, wow. Yeah. Or maybe the series or something. But yeah. That's
0: so fascinating.
1: So I just thought it was a really cool story. And I'm also curious to see because we're reading Vicious and then Vengeful back to back. If we notice any changes between the two books yeah. that are influenced by the break in between or anything. So that would be kind of cool. Definitely. Okay, so let's talk about the story. So we've okay. got Victor and Eli as our villains and heroes, but really just both opposing bad guys.
0: <laughs> right. And we did, and as she said, they did meet in university. And mm-hmm. I love how the book is divided between like past and present because I think it's mm-hmm. so great reading about what happened in university and then seeing where they are in the present and kind of seeing how they got to where they are. Yeah. And I I thought that was like a really clever way to set up the book because you're not, like you already have some answers and it makes you curious to go back and read and be like, oh, well, why are they enemies? Like what happened? Why are they in a cemetery? Like what? who are they digging up and why? And Yeah, um, the reveal is really refreshing. The reveal great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like it keeps the pacing so exciting um and I loved I also love the short chapters I'm a huge fan of short chapters yeah
1: and even the longer chapters here have like little breaks in them like it is it's just a lot Mm -hmm. of like quick kind of scenes
0: or moments or whatever strung together yeah Mm -hmm. so I'm really into just like the format of the book I'm really into the um, flashbacks and the present it's a it's really well written in that regard I think
1: I also like how we have these superpowers, but there is a like scientific reason behind it. Cause you know me yes. and how I don't like like magic without, or we both kind of feel this way like there's magic without good rules or whatever. I mm-hmm. like that these superheroes came not because there's like some magic radioactive spillage somewhere, but because they created themselves, some of them, and have like studied the like near death experience idea and yeah I just think it's really cool
0: I yeah I love the idea of having some kind of trauma or like a near-death experience could alter your physical body enough to give you superpowers because even just that in itself is like what a great explanation for a superpower like it's simple it's very clear it's not as fantastical as some other theories or other stories we've read and um yeah I mean it's it's, be- it's almost believable. Yeah. Like, you could say, oh, yeah, having that kind of trauma would change you in some way. Um, why not have it be but, a superpower? But for all of our
1: listeners, don't try that at home.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> my God. That. Okay. So, like, the thing that, the thing, the one thing that I think was fascinating to me most was so they have this theory that, or Eli comes up with this theory that a near death experience could create an EO. Mm-hmm. And then they just decide to test it on themselves. And yeah. that was, like, shocking to me because I was just like, where are you in your head that you think that killing yourself to prove a theory that has never been proven could be a good idea? Like,
1: Even if you think that, like, they both seem so scientific and, like, intellectual-minded and, like, research-focused, all this stuff. I don't know why they were like okay, let's just do it tonight. Let's not like wait and research. And they didn't really plan very much. No. Like it'd be one thing that I still, like I sort of buy that they'd want to test it on themselves. Like that part wasn't as crazy as just like the quick turnaround to me. It's like, oh, that's what your theory is. Let's go.
0: Let's do it. And, And also just like the way they first tested it with like, overdosing on Mm painkillers and then taking alcohol which like is dulling all your senses so that didn't even make sense and like they realized that they were like oh yeah pain's probably integral so why would we numb it but i was just like you didn't even think it think it out before you were just like downing painkillers and you
1: didn't even really have a plan like luckily you both came back or didn't die or yeah depending on which test we're talking about but like it didn't seem like a very good controlled experiment. Not at all.
0: It, but also, it like spoke to how much they trusted each other. Like you, they're literally putting their lives in each other's hands. And I don't know yeah. many people who I would do that
1: with. Yeah, but I couldn't <laughs> even tell because it's like a weird level of trust. Like even though they were good friends, there also was like a lack of trust, or a lack, or like it almost felt like competitive, not cooperative, or something. I don't know. Like they, they're, yeah. they're their relationship is really weird and complex and I like it
0: I do too and I think the competitiveness came about whenever Eli did his experiment in the ice bathtub and he and it works right and he all of a sudden was reborn as an EO and he had this power and then I think that's where the competitiveness kicked in because I think Eli was like I have this power now and I don't really want anyone else to have it. And so that's when he was like, oh, you know, maybe you can try again. Yeah, but Victor was
1: weird even before that. Like even when he, the reason he originally volunteered to go first and wanted to try it was because he didn't want to be like left out of the process, right? He he was worried about becoming a sidekick even before any of it. So there's definitely Mm -hmm. like, yeah, there's a level of trust or faith in their abilities at least, but also like, They're not super even open with each other. Even when they were first sharing the theory and stuff, it sort of felt like... It's not like they are inseparable, tied at the hip, best friends forever before this happened.
0: It's like they're still... They're friends, but they're still looking out for themselves first. Yeah. And, I mean, I I thought it was interesting, too, how Victor met Angie first. Mm -hmm. Which I kind of dislike that... Because, like, you know, there's that whole trope of, like, something has to happen to um, propel your protagonist, and it's oftentimes, like, the death of a woman, or there's always some kind of casualty that happens that, like, propels your main character, and it often is, like, something bad happening to a woman. Mm -hmm. Um, But I thought it was interesting how, like, even in the very beginning, there was a competition between Eli and Victor over Angie. Mm -hmm. And so it... but. But no one really talked about it. Like, Victor okay. never... What
1: I totally thought that when they were at the graveyard, they were going to bring Angie back. Whoa! Once we knew she died and that they were at the graveyard, I was like, oh, that's going to be the body that they're bringing back. Because I thought that would send a message or, like, make peace somehow yeah. or, like, do whatever. And that's also at first why I thought Eli wanted to meet Sydney if he knew about her power. I thought he wanted her to bring back Angie but then... And instead he shoots yeah, her. But, so I feel like Angie might have been a little bit of the spark, like her death. But I think Eli is also just kind of on this like weird, moral, twisted quest that's shifted or that's grown. Maybe it started because Angie died and shouldn't have. But I don't even feel like it was because he like loved her so much. I almost feel like he just thinks... Like, it's some, like, moral thing for him that, like, these people are unnatural or, like, somehow bad and somehow he's okay because he trusted God or, I don't know, something like, even, like, beyond the Angie side of it. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think you're right because even um, after Victor accidentally kills her, he was, like, trying to muster up some feeling of remorse and he really didn't. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think Eli was more upset that, like, Victor took her away from him or, or that... He somehow used his powers in a way that killed her. Yeah, I think like the whole thing about Eli trying to kill the EOs is really fascinating because, I mean, like you said, if it was really about Angie, he would have used Sydney to bring her back. So Angie's she's not the reason why he's doing what he's doing anymore. And even it has become more than that. Even
1: Sydney, like even if it was like people who've done bad things with their power, even accidentally, like Sydney hasn't done anything bad no. like it's not like she's brought back someone who shouldn't have been brought back or or whatever and then why do you think serena is with him does he actually like her does he need her for something did she talk
0: him I out mean, of this is such a good question because it's like why would he kill sydney and kill try and kill these other eos but why would he spare serena
1: and if she knows what he's doing why would she be with him like th- what's going on there
0: yeah and the other thing is, like, Eli's whole um, reasoning that um, Sydney has a power that's dangerous and that it's unnatural and goes against God, well, what does he think Serena's doing? Like, Serena can essentially mind control. Yeah. That seems a lot worse to me. Yeah. And I think Eli has this kind of, like, God complex because his power doesn't hurt other people. It just helps. Okay,
1: well, here's, here's a question I have, too. Do you do you think Eli also thinks he shouldn't be alive, but is unable to kill himself because he heals too quickly? Oh, like maybe like he's trying to like make up for his existence too by killing all the ones he can, but like ultimate like maybe he tried to kill himself and couldn't. But he also believes that God gave him this power, so I don't yeah. know why would God give him this power and like the devil give everyone else this power? Exactly, that make it, sense. it makes
0: zero. Like he's just being a hypocrite but that when you said that that kind of reminded me of um Taryn from Young Elites because he was what is whatever they call them a malfetto and he like was full of Mm self-loathing so but Eli doesn't seem like he's full of self-loathing to me he seems like he's like in love with himself
1: yeah it's so hard because we've mostly seen things from Victor or from Victor's side's perspective so I'm curious to if, like, the second half switches or if we just get some more of Eli's side. Because we haven't really see- – it's all been, like, kind of told from Victor or That's Victor's true. posse. But I think – So, okay. Okay. Quick okay. overview, though. So we have Victor, who is an EO and can give and take away people's pain, mm-hmm. including his own. Yes. We have Sydney, who's an EO, who can resurrect people. Yep. We we have Mitch, who's not an EO. That's our one team. Then we have Eli, who's an EO, who can self-heal. Yep. Yep. Angie, who is not an EO and died at the beginning and started all of this. Serena, who is an EO and can somehow, like, persuade people to do things. Or mm-hmm. something about, she tells people and they do it. Then we have Detective Stell, who gets called in any time there's something about EOs. And we have Barry Lynch, who's an EO, but we're not sure what his power is.
0: Is that our cast of characters? That's our cast of characters. And I loved how um Eli reported Victor like, he called the police to report an EO. Like, that is such a... I mean, that is such a betrayal. Total betrayal. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And risky, considering he's also an EO. <laughs> yeah. And his would be super easy to prove.
0: Y- yeah, it really would. Because
1: he can't, like, control it. Like, you
0: just, like, are like,
1: watch, stab. No, I'm healed. <laughs> there you go. Yeah.
0: I also love how the um, abilities are tied into the way you die. I thought that was, like, such a... A great... So, is
1: it the way you die, or what you think about when you die?
0: Um, maybe it's like what you would think about because Victor said he, when he was electrocuting himself, all he could think about was the pain, and he can control mm-hmm. pain. And then Sydney was say she, Sydney fell through a frozen lake, and she was um, she was thinking,
1: "Come back, yeah." Come back, she was like back. for
0: her sister to come back and save her, so she can bring people back. Um, I can't really place what Eli's was.
1: Was it? I know the, the last thing he said was, I put my life in his hands. But I don't know what he was thinking during the process.
0: Oh. I, I know he said something like, um, "like it took away his fear or something like that. I wrote it down. He was like, Eli yeah, Eli said dying took away his fear. I don't know if that...
1: Yeah, but then Victor called him on it and said you're still afraid, I can tell or something. Yeah.
0: And he was like, "No, I'm angry."
1: Okay. Also, this is this is a really small thing, but how is Eli so bad at shooting a gun 10 years later if he's been killing EOs that he couldn't <laughs> shoot Sydney when
0: she was standing there?
1: <laughs> but anyways,
0: well, he didn't do a very good job of shooting Victor either, right? He like
1: <laughs> But that was the first time, I think. Then it's been 10 years and apparently he's been killing a bunch of EOs who all have special abilities. <laughs> I don't know. I was kind of surprised by that. And then Serena though, back to your point. Serena also fell in the lake and drowned or uh, froze or something and she was thinking, "No, not like this." Oh, and she, and she was like persuaded to people. persuade
0: people. Oh, that's good. I missed that mm-hmm. tie in I wonder what Barry's is now because I I mean, I I think the whole thing with Barry and the in the staged bank robbery was so fascinating because um originally Victor's reading about it in the paper and they're saying that, you know, Eli was this hero who came in and saved the day from this bank robbery. But then you learn that he actually staged it and asked Barry to show everyone like a demonstration of his power so he could then like swoop in Mm -hmm. and save the day. And he killed him. And so, Mm -hmm. and I love that part because Victor, it like validated Victor when he decided to go after Eli. It almost like proved to him like, oh yeah, this is a bad guy. I'm not necessarily the villain. And Eli's the hero. Yeah. Like it could be reversed.
1: Yeah, and especially with Sydney also being like, That's the guy who shot me. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he's yeah. I'm trying to think who's worse. So but that <laughs> that is interesting because you because you're right, it brought it to a whole other level. The fact that Eli didn't just kill Barry, but he like set him up and made himself look like a hero mm-hmm. in the process was very interesting. Yeah. I'm curious. So we also know there's like three or four or some handful of other potential EOs in the area that could be Eli's next targets.
0: Right, and now...
1: I wonder if we'll recruit any of them to Victor's side or if we'll find them or if they'll all just die or be non-characters.
0: I'm interested in that too because it doesn't seem like Victor cares very much about going after them. He just wants to get a, like, go after Eli to like take out the man who's trying to hurt them.
1: Yeah, that's where even if Eli is the worst villain and Victor takes him out, Victor is motivated by pure vengeance he's not trying to help people or save people or do anything good mm-hmm. so even if he does a good thing in that regard he still is a villain he's a so soci- i mean he's a sociopath right
0: a hundred percent
1: okay i'm just double checking yeah eli might be also but victor definitely is
0: <laughs> um the other thing i loved about this book is i mean it provided endless research opportunities
1: Oh my goodness. I was like overwhelmed. Me
0: too. Because... There were so many <laughs> things to research. So, so what did you pick? Okay, I researched near-death experiences. Okay. What did you research? I did a
1: tiny bit about I did a tiny bit about that, but then I thought that you would probably do more about it. So I actually did a little bit more on pain. Okay. And if it's like good or bad or the absence or presence of it. But you go first.
0: Okay. Um so I researched near-death experiences and so this is kind of interesting. There's a Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, and it's an organization that specifically researches NDEs, um, which I thought was really interesting. Um, yeah. So there has been an effort to like study near-death experiences from a scientific perspective and to try and figure out like what's happening to your body neurologically, psychologically, physically during this near-death experience.
1: Um, Well, part of what they're trying to understand is what happens to us when we actually die, too, right? When we fully die? Oh. By understanding what happens when we partially die? Yeah, I think so. Temporarily die?
0: Yeah, that's part of it. Um, And a lot of – there's a lot of different theories. Like, some people think it's just, like, firing neurons. There's, like – there was an explanation for why people get that tunnel vision. Um, And and a lot of things are, like, you see bright lights. That's a common thing that people report. Um, And So, So, quick question uh – how
1: near death do you have to be to count it as a near-death experience? Like, did you have to be proclaimed dead? Um,
0: I would think you have to believe that you're dying. Okay, so... I don't think you necessarily have to be declared dead. I think it's just, like, you can have a near-death experience if you are in a situation where you're hurt or in so much danger and peril that you genuinely believe you are dying. Because I...
1: I feel like, to some extent, like if you narrowly avoided stepping out in the street in front of a bus or something, you could, on one hand, be like, if that's the closest to death you've ever come, be oh. like, that was a near-death experience. Versus, I know, in some cases, people actually like don't breathe and their heart stops, and then they still come back, right? Sometimes? Yes.
0: So, apparently, there is a scale that actually rates the intensity of the near-death experience. Interesting. And it, there's like 16 different components, and it's scored between zero zero to two and that scale determines if it's how near to death you are yeah (laughs) well it determines um that experiences with scores of seven or higher classify officially as an NDE okay so I guess it's I don't know why it's score oh it's scored between zero to two and then once you add them up if you have seven or higher it's officially an NDE okay okay
1: so there could be several combinations that get you there yeah but you still have to reach some basic
0: criteria. Okay. Exactly. Cool. Um. So do you want to hear about some near-death experiences and what people saw? Yeah. Okay, so I just pulled out a couple of them. There's actually, if you go to the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, they have a whole list of archives of just recorded and um, NDEs and, like, what the person almost died of. Oh, my goodness. So, like, I'll just read some of them. So that
1: would be perfect for Eli and crew to go find eos and kill him off
0: yeah <laughs> this would be a really terrible tool for him to find um okay so there's this one all right this says probable N nde as a child due to seizure like events at age 16 um this person sa- is originally from south korea he said one day i was lying on a couch at home and experienced a seizure like event i was foaming at the mouth and felt like i was falling into deep darkness like a bottomless pit in this place, there was nothing good. I was surrounded by every negative thing like sorrow, hate, disappointments, and negative emotions. Um, only negative things existed in this realm. Hmm. Ooh. But then another one. Um, so this is possible NDE due to unknown illness at age 16. Uh, she is from the UK. She says, everything stopped because I had reached the destination. Although I had been traveling fast, I didn't feel any motion sickness. I felt very at ease. I wasn't in pain and I wasn't ill. This sounds corny, but it felt perfect, like total bliss. And I was very happy. No worries, no stress. And then she said at the same time, I was enveloped in a very bright light. um, But she didn't feel the need to squint. And she said it was just very beautiful. Hmm interesting
1: so one thing I read about when I was looking at it just briefly I didn't go into I didn't hear hear examples but I was looking at just some of the data and it was talking about how so there's some similarities between spiritual experiences and NDEs if you look at the data Mm. but they said like a crazy high percent of people who have a true NDE will have some like major life transformation that lasts for like decades afterwards so it's not like a temporary thing even more than like a traumatic experience someone may change, like, short-term with, but with NDEs, they're more likely to, like, completely change their life around, or...
0: I believe that. I thought that was kind of interesting. I totally believe that. Because some of these sound horrific. Um. Oh, this is so interesting. Okay, so this is... I don't remember how... I don't. It doesn't say exactly how this person... What trauma this person had, but she's from the UK, and she said she arrived at a field of light, and... I was greeted by someone who told me, thank you for escorting him. I don't know why it says him. Someone will meet you shortly. Wait here. Um, She waited in the field, and then she felt like she was at a very big cocktail party, but without bodies. There were hundreds of intense telepathic conversations going on all around me, and I could tune in to any of them that I wanted to. It was very much like turning a dial on a radio or changing web pages on a computer. I could shift my focus and hear telepathically any conversation I wanted to hear on any topic all happening simultaneously. That's crazy. That is crazy. I wonder, like, what I would think if I had a near-death experience. What you would
1: experience? Yeah. Well, because they also say it's, like, really – it's different from a dream, right? Or at least people describe it as – it's not like they have a really intense dream. It's, like, something completely different. Like, it seems so weird to hear about without experiencing it, but – It would be really interesting to have gone through it yourself
0: I definitely have never had a near death experience I've been in situations where I've been like I could die right now but I've yeah I've never like had an out of body experience or a near death thank god I hope I never do
1: I was reading a little bit about um like some dangerous surgeries they do and stuff they try to like Kind of like what Eli did a little bit, but like make you so cold that like your heart's barely beating and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so that they can perform these surgeries, but they're also really risky. But something about if something happens there, but they still bring you back. A lot of those people have near-death experiences too.
0: uh, That actually reminded me. So there was this one here about a little boy. This was fascinating. He was having surgery, and there was a complication during the surgery. He was, he was six years old, and he had an NDE during surgery, and he, he said that he, he felt like he walked out of the emergency room or out of the um, surgery room, and he said he walked and turned into the waiting area, and he saw his mom looking worried and his dad looking at a magazine, and then he said he stood, he stood there and heard his mom say to his dad, Something is wrong. And then his dad looked up and his mom said, something is wrong with Jack. I'm going to go see what's going on. And It was like at the time that this complication was happening during surgery.
1: And when he woke up or came back or whatever, did was that a real conversation they had?
0: Oh, I don't know. I mean, it sounds like it, right?
1: Yeah, because that's something I think I heard, but it wasn't from a very scientific source, but that people who have those out-of-body experiences during their Indies will overhear conversations that actually happened in other parts of, like, the hospital and stuff.
0: I mean, it's... A lot of people report um, seeing loved ones who have passed away. So, like, some of these people have said... Like, this one woman, she said um, during her NDE, she met her father who had passed away, and he said to her, I've gone as far as I can, and if I go any further, I won't be able to turn back. Hmm. And that's, like, a common thing, is, like, people say that they see loved ones, which is interesting.
1: Do they talk about... Do people want to come back or do they want to stay there or do they have a choice or do they
0: some people like do people who come back
1: because part of what we read part of the theory quote unquote in this
0: book is that you have to like have a will to live still right right that's a key very key to it Mm -hmm. um so some of the ones i read um the people actually were brought back and were furious because it was so beautiful where they were and they didn't want to come back interesting yeah
1: I think those are some of the people that, like, have these dramatic transformations when they come back, to.
0: I mean, I, who can blame them? Like, I can't say that if I had a crazy near-death experience that I wouldn't totally be transformed.
1: No, if you thought that you, like, saw heaven or hell or your version of it or, like, met an angel or saw a loved one or got advice from some spiritual being, like, a thousand percent that would influence me. Yeah. Especially if I, like, if it was a vivid enough experience that I believed it was a true experience not a dream or something yeah
0: I don't even know anyone who had an NDE At least, not that I know of if
1: any of our listeners have had
0: an NDE we want to hear all yes about it. please email us your near-death experiences and what you saw what you experienced if you saw a loved one or if you want to be
1: interviewed on the show you could yeah too. that's a
0: possibility I'm fascinated yeah <laughs> so yeah that was my research and I I thought it was really interesting
1: It is really interesting. It was, like, the little bit I did, like I said, I was looking at it more from a data standpoint than, like, a story standpoint, but it was, like, kind of freaking me out, but, and I thought you might be doing some cool stuff, because
0: it seemed right up your alley. Yeah, (laughs) I figured you would predict what I was going to research this
1: week. Well, there was actually a lot of, because there's kind of a lot of, like, torture and stuff in this book
0: already, too, like, I don't know. I know, and just, like, the whole how they try and kill themselves is so awful, and, like, the idea of crawling into a bathtub filled with ice and laying there until you die just sounds so excruciating. Oh my goodness. And then, like, like the will you'd have to do that. I don't, I
1: can't imagine. And like for your friend to watch someone do that, to not call 911, yes. to like go through this whole process. And then also when they came back, when he finally woke up, to, when he's like, I think I need to get a drink instead of I need to see the doctor. And they just like <sighs> go with it. Like, that was crazy. (laughs) Yeah, something is deeply wrong with both of them. (laughs) But, um, so I looked a little bit, I was inspired by Victor and his ability to apply and remove pain from himself Mm -hmm. and other people. And I forget, I think it was in one of his early, like when Eli was shooting at him, when he had that moment and he said, like, you can't feel the pain, but you're still bleeding out or something. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and that reminded me of, like I've heard before, we might have talked about this in some other podcasts a little bit, but like if you don't feel pain, it's actually really dangerous because pain is your body telling, like warning you of something or like telling you to react or yeah, totally whatnot. So there are some conditions that people don't feel pain or lose sensitivity to pain, but I was reading about this girl, Ashlyn Blocker from Georgia, who was born with a congenital insensitivity to pain. Um, Hmm. and when she was diagnosed, so she was like six or seven, this one doctor told her that she might be the only one in the world who has it. Um, but that same year, a research team from Cambridge found the same condition in members of three different large families in Northern Pakistan. Huh. And And
0: it's, this is, this condition is you don't feel pain.
1: Yeah. So especially, so I read more about her specifically, so I don't know if it always, Looks the same in everyone, necessarily, but it's basically a insensitivity to different sensory nerves. So for temperature and pain specifically. So she so at the time the article was written in two thousand fifteen, she had, was sixteen years old um, and she had never felt any physical pain. Whoa, so some of the stories they were talking about was like, as a newborn, she like didn't really cry that much. And when her teeth started coming in, she nearly chewed off her tongue. Oh, my God. Um, When she was young, her father had accidentally left, like, a pressure washer running, and she (gasps) burnt the
0: skin off her palm. Yeah. I hear burns are common, because you just don't know something's hot. Yeah. Yeah,
1: that happens to people with, like, stoves and stuff. They don't Mm -hmm. realize. Or even, I mean, like, you can imagine, like, bleeding, and if you don't realize the cut happened, like... Yeah. ...you could bleed out or get infected or something like that. She ran around on a broken ankle for two days before her (gasps) parents noticed the injury... Um, She's dipped her hands in boiling water. She's been bitten by hundreds of fire ants, like all kinds of stuff. And especially like when she was at school, there was a lot of extra things that the teachers would have to do. So like every day she'd have to go to the nurse and get like a checkup after recess. And Mm -hmm. her mom made her wear a helmet around the playground and when she would get like hot food they'd put ice in her food like if she got chilly or something because she would just eat it if it was too hot without realizing it oh my goodness um and this one other article about the same girl was talking about how like a bunch of family photos of her show different like self-inflicted injuries like there's this picture of her when she's you know, dress up for like Christmas and her hair is done and she's in this nice dress and she's got like a swollen lip, missing teeth, oh, a puffy no. eye, athletic tape wrapped around her hands to protect them. And like, uh, it says she looked like a little boxer who had won a prize bout or something. But so it, oh, it like, God. it's actually like we've talked about dangerous because you usually if something's hot or cold or painful and you notice it, you can react to it and remove yep. the negative thing from you. So just cause you don't feel pain doesn't mean you're not suffering from hurting something. Hurting
0: yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Have you read the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo series?
1: Yes. I've read the original ones.
0: Okay. Because there's a character who has this condition.
1: Maybe that's why it was, like, in my head before. I couldn't remember where I had heard about it or read about it or whatever.
0: hmm And she's, like, trying to fight him and he, like, isn't reacting. Yep. Yeah. Just made me think of it.
1: But then on the flip side, and this is also kind of interesting because Victor can... So he keeps talking about, like, turning the dial. First it was a switch, now it's a dial, so he... You know when he like shatters the glass, he turns it up Mm -hmm. a little bit to make sure he gets all of the glass out. Or when um, Sydney isn't sure if she's been hurt anywhere else, he turns her pain back on so he can like fully... Address any other wounds she has or whatever. But I also Mm -hmm. was reading about how pain in general is like this major global health problem, and there is an estimated cost of $560 billion in the US alone related to the management of chronic pain. So any pain that lasts longer than three months is considered chronic pain. Um, And a lot of times it's presented with no underlying physical cause. And this (laughs) is something uh, near and dear to my heart, especially because I've been having my own painful medical issues that have been hard to diagnose. But it was just kind of interesting to read about some of this stuff because pain is still like such a a subjective thing. So, you know, what I feel is painful, you might not feel the same level of pain or the same experience of pain and things like that. It's really hard to – there's like some objective data and a lot of subjective data on it. And um, one of the things I was reading about was that pain modifies the way the central nervous system processes pain – So you become more sensitive as you're in pain, or if you're in pain for a long time. So it's called central sensitization, I guess. And so you'll be more sensitive to things that should hurt, and also more sensitive to ordinary touch and pressure and things like that.
0: Do you think if you were like in a lot of prolonged pain, your body would do the opposite and try to like desensitize yourself to it?
1: Yeah, and I guess they also say it just it changes in general over time. So it's like, a really complex idea. They're still trying to figure out a lot of it because there, there's like a lot of physical stressors and emotional stressors that could influence pain, especially depending on the cause. But um, for some people who don't, it like can become a neurological habit too. They say so if some tissue is in pain and that's causing your pain, but then you create this kind of neurological habit, and then even when the tissue is repaired it's like a ghost pain that your brain still is processing. Oh, like a phantom pain, yeah. Yeah, kind of like a phantom limb pain. It's one of the examples that they gave. So it's just, um, <laughs> I just thought it was interesting because they basically, there's all these, and even this girl, the girl who doesn't feel any pain, she can still like feel things. Like it's not like she, like, she has a sense of touch and everything. Yeah, she she's can, not like, like numb. Yeah, but it's kind of interesting to think about the number of times when we don't know what's causing pain or how much of pain is like mental versus physical and this idea of chronic pain being, like, such a global issue. and I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was kind of interesting to, like, dig into pain a little bit, and especially because it's, like, Victor's... I thought it was interesting when he was talking about being in jail. It wasn't just that he could get people to do his will by, like, threatening them with pain, but he also could remove people's pain, and that was sort of, like, another... Yeah. It was like a currency, almost. Yeah, it makes me like Victor a little bit, too, because he's not just, like, torturing people for fun. He's, yes, very, like self-centered I think in what he's trying to do but he he's not just like using pain as a weapon he's also using pain relief
0: as a gift I don't know <laughs> uh, I don't know if I would say it a gift I feel like he was using pain relief as still a weapon or like still a tool at least a tool sure he was always doing it for gain he was like like it was a currency he was like you do you do this for me and I'll take your pain away.
1: Well, in jail, sure. But Sydney, he, before he knew that she was an EO and he just saw a 13-year-old girl on the side of the road That's who true. was shot. I mean, I'm I'm not saying he's a good guy by any means and I definitely don't I think he's 100% a sociopath, but <laughs> like I thought that was an interesting like he's not he's not um What's the... Like, he's not a sadist or anything. Like, he's not... Yeah. I don't know. He could, he not, could be worse. I'm wondering
0: if... <laughs> he definitely could be worse. I But I feel like he picked up Sydney because he could sense that she was an EO. Don't you?
1: Well, like, he, I mean, I think he kept talking about it was, like, his first sense of, like, some divine intervention or what... Like, I don't... I don't think there was anything that he actually thought that she was beneficial, but I think, yeah, he did feel, like, some weird urge. Yeah, I want to see some good in him.
0: <laughs> I hope we do. I mean, I, I hope we do too because... I don't make enough
1: to redeem him by any means. I wouldn't go so far as to say he's a good guy.
0: Right. And I mean, the title of the book is Vicious. So it's like both Eli and Victor are being extremely vicious, I would say. They're both kind of the villains. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just
1: curious to see... I'm curious because I don't really... I mean, like, I guess I'm kind of on Victor's side because he's the point of viewer following... But I'm not really on Victor's side. Like, I'm curious, especially if we get Eli's point of view, like, who I would even want to win,
0: quote unquote. I mean, yeah, like, like,
1: like, you know, what's a happy ending?
0: He (laughs) essentially killed his girlfriend. I mean, he really manipulated Angie into helping him by telling her, like, oh, if you don't do this, I took a pill and I'm going to die, which was a complete lie. So he, like, manipulated her into helping him and then killed her. And, though, I mean, yeah, it was an accident, but, like, he's still responsible for his best friend's girlfriend's death.
1: Yeah, the fact that he feels no remorse for that. He doesn't care about it. Yeah. It's bad. I do think, like, I don't think he, obviously, it wasn't acting, he didn't go into it intentionally, but then the fact that he's just like,
0: oh, well, eh, is, yeah. like,
1: where the real problem lies. Right, Yeah, <laughs> right.
0: And, but, um, and that also ties into, I think, that, like, I think there was something wrong with them before they even did these experiments, but I think after this, like, you were kind of, like, you were saying, like, after a near-death experience, you're changed in some way, and I think both of them are absolutely changed, and not necessarily for the better.
1: Yeah, but that's what's also interesting, to your point, because they both, like, even Victor was saying he saw, like, something dark in Eli before, and that's, like, Mm -hmm. sort of what made him want to be friends with him. Like, I'm curious, because it doesn't seem like Sydney had a darkness beforehand, necessarily, so I'm curious if just the fact that she's an EO makes her go dark, or if yeah. like it does have something to do with certain traits being amplified, or if you know what
0: it brings out. And know. I
1: I hope we meet more EOS. Me
0: too. I I'm curious about Barry because I I thought it was interesting that when Sydney brings him back, she brings him back, but he doesn't have his powers anymore. And she was like, maybe it's because EOs have already had their second chance. So is that
1: what was happening? Okay, so do we know what his power was in the first place? No, we don't, right?
0: I don't think so. But we just know that he no longer has his powers, and he's also impervious to Victor's power. Okay, somehow I missed part of that, I guess. So how do we know he's he can't feel Victor's power? Yeah, because I think Victor tried to do something. Because Victor tried to, he was like, hey, I have a job for you. And he was like, uh, no. No. And so he tries to persuade him with pain, and he's like, ha-ha, your tricks don't work on me. And that's when he locked him in a coffin. So he was like, well, I can still do this. Oh, yeah. Okay. I guess
1: I remember (laughs) that. I just didn't really realize. So that's interesting. But I guess I didn't realize that that was because, I thought maybe it was because he was an EO, but maybe it's because he was brought back from the dead, or maybe it's because he was an EO brought back from the dead.
0: I think it's that one. I think it's if an EO is brought back from the dead, they lose their powers, because they already had a second chance. With their yeah. N-E. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And he was like flick... Wasn't he flickering in and out or something? What was going on when they brought him back? Or did I make... Wasn't there something like... Oh, I don't remember that. Maybe I'm just... Maybe I'm taking one word that was used to describe something and maybe a light flickered. I don't know. Oh, yeah. He flickered
0: in and out of sight a little each time, like a shorten a shorting projection.
1: I don't feel a thing. You can't hurt me, said Barry when he was brought back. Yeah. So interesting.
0: Um, I really want to keep reading. I know, I do
1: too. Okay, <laughs> sorry. We don't need to let's just get back to it. Okay, so for next week. Let's
0: finish this book. Yes.
1: I also like that these are both like what, 350, 400 page books, maybe?
0: Yeah, they're perfect length. Yeah.
1: I am also a fan of her writing style. So yeah, I except I don't think I want to see any of this on a screen. It's too much no, for
0: me. yeah. That would be a lot. Like all the Trying to kill themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's a pass for me too. Oh, especially the electrocution one. Oh, no. All of it, really. Yeah. No, thanks. Well, on a lighter note, do you have a joke for me?
1: Okay. This is a superhero related joke. When did Anakin Skywalker become evil? I guess it's a Star Wars related joke.
0: When did Anakin Skywalker become evil? I don't know.
1: In the Sith
0: grade. <laughs> <laughs> James is is gonna love that one he
1: really is oh my god and guess what what next week or when we post this tomorrow will be my birthday yay happy birthday so if anyone's listening wish me a happy birthday just kidding but do it send katie an email Um, wishing her a happy birthday (laughs) you can do that at (laughs) mnk.ya at gmail.com that's a good segue or on instagram or facebook at ya. i didn't even mean to but it was so perfect it was I really great
0: <laughs> uh, yes we're finally breaking the curse of the awkward sign-offs <laughs> kind of yep <laughs> bye bookworms go get a library card